Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach Brendan Sir. I think you're really going to love today. Uh, Corey Close, the head coach of UCLA women's basketball, has been absolutely spectacular her six years now at UCLA, and she is just crushing it out on the West Coast and uh, really has brought UCLA back to having a phenomenal program. And uh, the Pac-12 is a dynamic league and, you know, really had a conversation that you're going to love that I don't care if you coach men, women's basketball, if you coach junior high, high school, college, or pro. She has some nuggets for you about coaching that I think are fabulous. You're really going to enjoy it. After this short break, come and listen to Corey Close. Hey, let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market today. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and to provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind of basketball shooting industry that enables coaches and players to stay connected, design and upload training exercises that combine shooting, conditioning, and ball handling into one complete workout, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is without question the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. It's been the official shooting machine of Coaching You for the last two years. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. Really excited to have our guest today, Corey Close, the head coach of UCLA, uh, with us on our Coaching You Basketball podcast. Corey, thanks so much for visiting with us today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited. I've been a, a fan of this podcast, and I've benefited in my own coaching, so appreciate you having me on. Well, I just, as I talked to you about, I, I just got off the phone with a dear friend of both of ours, John Gordon, and he said, well, make sure you talk to Corey, and make sure you tell her this, and I said, John, I'm doing damn podcasts with her, okay? I, I'm not going to, you know, you pick up the phone, you give her a call, but he thinks the world of you, and, mm. you know, and uh, he's been a great help to you know, to so many coaches, but to me especially, and I know you're so fond of them and stuff. Well, yeah, and you know, there's certain people you just know that you'd be different if if your paths hadn't crossed, and you know, my path crossed with John Gordon about six years ago, and you know, I'm a different coach. Um, he's become he and his entire family. Actually, yeah, his daughter fabulous. interned with us, and I know I'm I'm different. I'm different because he's my friend, and because I've been influenced by his teachings, and I'm very grateful for that. Well, you're such so influential. You got him to buy a place in L.A. I mean, so that's pretty <laughs> that's pretty influential, huh? Hey, and then I had his wife's fiftieth birthday party at my house. So oh, I feel Catherine, like, you know, no, Catherine, hey, no, we're Catherine. Trying to get him really entrenched in the Southern. California community. I want to see the pictures of that one. I'll tell you, but uh, you know, he's got a great family, and uh, he really and, does. And, and they're so neat. And uh, one of the things of not living in Florida anymore is I don't get to see him on a regular basis. But uh, thank God for the phones. Absolutely. But, hey, tell me about uh, you know, and I, you know, and I remember, <laughs> I remember the day you got hired at UCLA. And I'll, I'll tell you <laughs> why, because I am. Even though, you know, I'm a guy from Jersey and, you know, I've lived all over the country, 
I've always been a UCLA fan uh, for years, uh, men's program especially, you know, and, you know, a new coach would and, and everything. And then, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I all of a sudden, I, when, when my friend Nikki Caldwell becomes the coach of LSU, mm-hmm. at the time we weren't really friends, but I, I see she gets the job there. And I said, uh, who are they going to hire? And then next thing I know, they hire an assistant coach from Florida State. And I said, and I'm living in Orlando. And I said, how the hell can they hire an assistant coach to coach UCLA, one of the great programs in America? But then I find out from my friend John Gordon, this guy, this gal is off the charts. And Sue <laughs> Semra says, one of the best we've I've ever had. And so were you surprised, even though you had been an assistant there, were you surprised? I mean, that is a big time job. Were yes, and in, in one word, yes, <laughs> okay. I have a really good friend, uh, Mark Campbell. He coaches at University of Oregon, and uh, I was recruiting my first summer out um, as the UCLA head coach, and it was just the two of us watching a, a, a summer game. And he and he says, Corey, you know, we've been friends a long time. Can I ask you a question? <laughs> I said, of course, Mark. And and he says, uh, how in the heck did you get that job? <laughs> and, so, and I just said, you know, I don't know. God, that's why I said God. I, yeah. Um, it was beyond me, but I think that it was it was all about the fit, and it's all about the right time. I really give credit to Sue Simrau. I wasn't even going to come on the interview. I, I just like that? they're not going to hire me. I mean, they're just they're bringing me in because I knew the other five people that were being or four people that were brought in, and I thought there's no way. And Sue's like, just go, go, and you know, give yourself a chance. She almost had to push me on the plane. How about that? And you know, and just said you got to go and do this. And and it's interesting. I was the first of five candidates, and. I knew by the end of the day, I'm like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I I have no basis of thinking I'm going to get this job. I have no uh, reason, but in my gut, um, I was, I could, I didn't want to go back to Florida state the next day because I sort of knew this is what I was supposed to do. And it, you know, so I I still don't know how or why they hired me, but uh, it's worked out pretty well. Pretty well. I would say so. Uh, Now you you played at Cal Santa Barbara and you know, then you coach there and stuff. And it's for all of us that have ever seen the campus there, you know, we say, oh, that's the, that's like, it was like UCF, you know, and places uh-huh. like that where they go, that's a diamond in the rough. Oh, that place could be special. And it could be, and it is, uh-huh. it has been in different times, you know, both the men's and women's side. But, you know, when you're playing it at Cal, Santa Barbara, and then when you're coaching there, you're, you're, are you ever, th- even, you know, I know you you started out at UCLA coming mm-hmm. out of school but do you ever say like yeah i could come back here and be the head coach there i mean <laughs> that's not on the radar is it at that point no yeah. no you're really not but i'll tell you um being at uc santa barbara and then going okay that really taught me about player development that's really where my passion came from from player development because you know i wasn't able to recruit at the levels that i'm able to recruit at now at ucla and we had to find young women that were had good abilities but were maybe under the radar that, as you use the phrase, diamonds in the rough, um, and really provide a really unique kind of experience that they wanted to be a part of. And and I think that that really did set the foundation for me. Um, and, and it was also about rebuilding programs. As a player, I went there, and they hadn't won a game um, in 18 tries in the Big West when I got there as a player. Wow. And so in watching Mark French build that program, and then, you know, the last time that we played, um, the last year I 
coach there, we had three WNBA players on the roster. Um, and so, you know, it's just see, being a part of building programs and the foundations and how they went about doing it. And then getting to go to, I really actually had the head, the head coaching opportunity to go to Pepperdine or go be the associate head coach at, um, at Florida state. And people thought I was crazy. Like I would go do that instead. And, uh, oh my gosh, it was the best thing because, you know, as you know, Sue Samro is absolutely fabulous, but Incredible. she's, um, she totally knows how to invest in people. She values the process over uh, product. And, and as a result, you know, we, as the book legacy says, better people um, make better players in the end. And she just really built that program. And I got to watch her do it in a very unique way. And, and I never would have been ready for this job if I hadn't have had that Florida State experience. Tell me about, um, I think, men's and women's game. You know, we're, they're both you know, have up, you know, different things going on in it. The men mm -hmm. have 875 transfers last year. The women's game is now getting more transfers than they ever yeah. did before. Okay. Give me your reason in your opinion. Why? Oh, I think it's very complicated. I think it's a combination of, uh, transactional too much transactional coaching and not enough transformational coaching and Good. building relationships mm -hmm. um and then i think on the other side of the coin i think it's um we don't value adversity and grinding it out and earning our way and we want it to happen fast and if it's not comfortable and on top of that there's you know, 50 voices surrounding these young men and women that are mm -hmm. telling them, oh, you should be playing here more. And, and the exposure is so great. So the noise in which coaches are trying to combat is also more intense. And I, I really believe if uh, we would never have been able to build the program here at UCLA the way we have if our parents um, were not as strong as they are. Um, you know, I actually just told a kid after practice day, three of my four freshmen were in tears today after practice. And it was just one of those days that like, this is really hard, you know? And, um, and I told him, I said, you know, Jordan Canada was in tears and, and, you know, Jordan Canada said, Oh my, I don't know if I can make it. This is so hard. And, you know, she ended up being Pac-12 freshman of the year. And sure. now she's, you know, going to be an all American and she's going to be a top uh, first round draft pick, but everybody feels that way. But if it wasn't for the parents and if you don't have a strong circle of influence surrounding those kids saying, no, we're going to persevere. No, we're going to be women of our word. No, we're going to do things that are uncomfortable. And yes, it's, uh, it's not immediately gratifying, but over time. And I think if you don't have that, um, it really is difficult. And so you're, you've got the noise and you've got immediate gratification on the player side. And then you've got coaches who I think aren't really spending the relational time and really saying, Hey, this is about, transforming character and providing an educational experience and as a result they become great basketball players when it becomes transactional and it can be quick fix just as much for the coaches as it can for the players and i think it creates a perfect storm i you know of course i believe in transformational coaching but a lot of athletic directors don't <laughs> good point <laughs> uh you have a very good athletic director there who i know mm -hmm. from our ucf DeVos program and you know, but I think that's a big problem today is that, you know, mm. the, you know, we, we have our, you know, you have, you know, in the past we've had millennials, you're now coaching IY and Generation Z kids, you know, uh, yeah. we're parents mostly that if things don't go well, like today when those three kids are crying, uh, the parents saying, don't worry, honey, it's not your fault. It's, <laughs> right. Right. You know, but if they're, they are terrific parents, like ours were, they said they kick you in the fanny and say, okay, figure it out. Uh -huh. Hang uh -huh. in there, you know. 
you yes. know, and I think that's 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 one of the things that make uh, coaching now a really mm-hmm. hard job at that level. Really hard yeah, job. Yeah, it really is hard, and and I think that uh, in fine, that's why it really wasn't about for me being here at UCLA, just getting a big name job. It really needed to be the right fit because mm-hmm. um, I am a huge believer. I mean, I was mentored by Coach Wooden for 15 years. Um, I'll never forget, and I've told this story before, but it, my philosophy has really come out of one conversation, um, my fourth day on the job here, from a guy named John Valley, mm-hmm. and he was one of Coach Wooden's players, but I didn't know him. I, I, even though I'd been mentored by Coach Wooden, I had not met him before. And he comes into my office and he says, um, I've been married 38 years because of what Coach Wooden taught me. I've started three successful businesses because of what Coach Wooden taught me. And then he said, I've um, conquered cancer three times because of the strength Coach Wooden gave me. And then he really got me. So I survived the death of my 12-year-old daughter because of the way Coach Wooden loved me. Oh my and I, I was just like my jaw was on the ground. And then he pretty much walked out a few minutes later and I went and looked him up. And then he didn't even mention that he was a starting guard on two of Coach Wooden's national championship teams. And he played seven years in the NBA. Blonde hair it, could shoot the hell out of the ball, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. And blonde guy, Newport Beach. I mean, he, surfer he, looking he guy. Like, yep. Surfer guy. Um, but he it didn't even he didn't even mention that the championships or the NBA that? because it paled in comparison to the man he became, and I'm like that's it right there. Mm-hmm. I want to create a program, but you can't do that unless you have an administration that also values the character, the process, um, all of those things along with it. And that's why it was a good match for me uh, here at UCLA because I knew that that was a value of Dan Guerrero. It wasn't going to be one that was uh, fell on deaf ears. No, he's terrific, and 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 as I like to say, he gets it in a big, big mm-hmm. way. Uh, what has been? How did your style play? How has that evolved? You know, uh, you know, as you know, I think all of us as coaches, we go through you yeah. know different phases. But how have you, you know, and and I'm sorry, and share also with our listeners, uh, you know, how how do you play, and so that mm-hmm. they'll get a better understanding of that. Sure. You know, I think um, it's really, I think coaching, I think is really about two things in style of play. One is what can you really teach well and what is an evolving, changing game require of you? And I think it can't be just about what I like to do, Um, you know, and I think that's part of it because I think if I'm not confident and I don't, I'm passionate about a certain way of playing the game, then that's going to trickle down. But at the same time, I got to, I got to be aware and be willing to adjust to the changing landscape. So for instance, in the women's game, um, it's a very free flowing, uh, it's a little bit the small ball that we're seeing in Mm -hmm. the, in the NBA, but a vacated low post, a lot of things in transition, versatile players. Um, you, you you know, you could post up your point guard as much as you're going to post up your five player. Um, you know, you're, it's really about playing the game and being versatile and having movement away from the ball as well as movement with the ball and off of dribble penetration. But I started to look at, okay, what are the trends here? And in the final four over the last, you know, seven or eight years, uh, you know, at least probably 75% of the teams are with that playing that kind of style. Then I study the Olympics and I go, okay, um, you don't, you, you just, you're not going to see the box sets, traditional high, low, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, a lot more player to player offense, uh, very little zones, uh, though we have played, you know, probably about 25% zone over the last couple of years, but mostly because of need, not because of want. Um, and so we want to play a, a very up-tempo style, but every coach says that I always say, you know, don't, don't take my 
my word for it. Go look at our numbers, our points per possession, you know, our sure. speed of the game. Um, but we do want to play in transition. But we also, I think the number one word for me is versatility. Um, I really want to teach our players how to read screens correctly, how to pass to space and, you know, make players better, how to play according to your personnel. So we, we try to play a pretty – we have concepts of uh, Princeton offense in our, in our um, mm-hmm. sets where we really want to spread the floor out, uh, play with a vacant low post so that we can uh, get high percentage shots both off the pass, off the bounce, and off the post-ups and by multiple people. So we're obviously hunting for layups, and then we're hunting for wide-open threes, and then we'll keep you honest with the mid-range game. So that's what we're trying to do. I think we're still a work in progress. Our points per possession as well as our uh, you know, points per game have been uh, you know, pretty high, have been in the top in our conference and pretty high nationally over the last several years. So we think we're going in the right direction, but I always want to be open. I want to be open to being influenced by our personnel as well as um, you know, all of our players want to play either professionally uh, with USA Basketball or with their national teams. And I think I have to be willing to teach a system that's going to equip them and set them up for success at the next level, not just success with me. I always say to our, uh, to my my friends, my men coach friends, that why is it that men's basketball is the only league in the world, college basketball is the only league in the world that doesn't play four quarters? The women have been so good, so progressive to understand that four quarters is an, a, a really a neat way to play the game, but also you deserve yeoman compliments, the women's game, on being able to execute change to advance the ball up you know, in the last minute of play Mm -hmm. to really give the coaches a chance to look like they can coach. I I don't care if it's (laughs) Coach K or Gino. If you got three seconds and you got to go to the length of the floor, you're going to look like a dummy, you know, because Mm -hmm. you're going to throw the ball out of bounds. And they're going to say, well, geez, the guy doesn't have it. But you give that ball that hash mark and and something good can happen, you know. And I, I think that's, you know, and I always say, geez, you know, copy what the pros are doing you know men mm-hmm. and women and, and they're giving you the answers to the test but I, how did you enjoy it last year last i year? loved it yeah. I, I think you know you you hit it on the head in terms of the adventure of it um i think you know not only at the being able to advance the ball in the last minute but you know you sort of have a special situation at the end of every quarter yes um i actually charged one of my assistants uh jenny hooth uh i was like i want to be i want to be in the top in the country um you know top five percent in our underneath out bounds our sideline out of bounds as well as our time, clock management and special situations and I charged her to really study it who's doing it best and you know Earl Watson uh, who's you know was the head coach of the um, of the Phoenix Suns and but he was he's been back in our practices and and he's been going over film with us and talking about special situations and talking about the things in the NBA that were hardest for him to guard but also the things he saw him being most successful and we already in our our closed scrimmage last Saturday we already put one in and I just think it's it's really fun so you know you're talking about you know x amount of seconds how do you get two for ones at the end of every quarter how do you use those to gain an extra possession Mm -hmm. every single quarter if you can and it just adds a sense of adventure and um sort of a you know it's just one more possession i mean we all know the game's about inches and so you know if you get the end of every quarter you got a chance to take up a couple more inches if you think about it strategically i think it's a great way to play and i think you know you guys have now jumped out ahead of the men's game and as my friend Coach K says, you know, you cannot run a business with a committee. 
and the men's mm. game can't figure that out. And you mm. know, and it's so frustrating because it'll take them five years to make a change that took you guys like nothing to do. <laughs> and, that, and I love it. I love it because they're so. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, we're really trying to grow our game, and we want people to come and say, "Hey, the women are." It's an exciting brand of basketball, and I think it really is a matter of exposure. And and if you really love the game, and that's why, of course, you know, Coach Wooden's been uh, quoted so many times about you know if you really want to see great the. Mm-hmm. You know, the way the game was designed to play, go watch the women because there's a fluidity of movement. There's a great amount of teamwork. Uh, isn't one person with the ball and everybody else staring with that person with the ball trying to go dunk, which is I'm not saying it's yeah. bad. I love the men's game, but I'm just saying that the women have a real opportunity to, to showcase fluidity, skill development, understanding of the game and teamwork in a way that I don't think the men's culture allows at this point in time. No, and and I think you know it's like whatever you practice, and so AAU uh, men boys basketball, that's not the way it's played at all. Correct. So you know, mm-hmm. I mean, so that when they when we get them in college, they don't have a clue of how to play. And I think what uh, there was nothing to me more exciting than the women's final four last year in mm-hmm. Dallas, watching those teams play, uh, and then also you know then watching. All five games at the WNBA Finals. I thought we saw great, great basketball by two great teams and great coaches. And I think that helps the game so much. I agree. I mean, I think that, you know, I've already broken down all the pick and roll situations <laughs> for the all five games with my point guard. Um, it just gave me such an entree of, you know, if you want to be at this level, this is how this level's playing. Uh, Elena Beard, um, you know, came and spoke to our team and really? talked about what that meant and the, the culture of that. Yeah, she just did a great job. And uh, her and I have known each other since she was in high school. And, and so it's been really fun to have her in L.A. and to connect with her. But she was sharing about, you know, just what that was like. And she said something that was really interesting. And John Gordon would have loved this. But um, our team said, what what was what you think separates you? And she said, says, um, I've completely surrendered the outcomes and I'm completely sold out to the process. And wow. she told the story that she remembers in game five, two years ago, she walked out onto the court and she says, I, I said to myself, I'm surrendering the outcome because I know I've given everything to my process of preparation and to be in a great teammate. So I surrendered the outcome. And she goes, and of course, I was elated. We won. And she said, but I did the exact same thing of game five this time. And she goes, we didn't win. And she says it was disappointing and it stung because I'm a competitor. But the reality is I could still be peaceful because I had still surrendered the outcome and been comp- completely committed to the process of becoming great and the process of being a great teammate, sacrificial teammate. And as a result, I could be peaceful either way. And I thought, oh, what wisdom. And uh, and it was just really, really good. I thought our team needed to hear that. But all that to say is you're absolutely correct. I thought not only did they, did they give us a great example of how the game is being played, but um, I think the women uh, have shown great character, great sportsmanship, great mm-hmm. work ethic, great giving back to the, their communities. I think they really have an ownership of growing our game um, to the next level and, and just really appreciated the example both the final four teams presented, but also the WNBA teams. I agree. Fast Model Sports is the world's most versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy to use interface that can be used on 
both your computer and your iPad, providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. doesn't stop there. Along with FastDraw, they have other great programs such as FastScout, which I have used, which helps coaches create clean professional scouting reports customized for your team. FastModel is trusted and used by every NBA team and WNBA team and 85% of Division I college teams and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills for their online coaching community. For access... To these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Uh, tell me about the Pac-12, really a strong conference. You have some really good teams in that conference. Really good teams and, boy, really good coaches that challenge me every single day. Uh, it's, you know, it's really interesting. It's like any kind of teamwork, right, and any kind of business that when people get together and go, you know, we can we can accomplish more together than we can individually or apart. And a couple, about five years ago, we were the last of the Power Five conferences in women's basketball for consecutive years. How about that? And we, we got together and we got together early in our, our May meetings and it was I think my second year here. So, and uh, we said, Hey, we got to change this. And this is what we have to do to change it. We made a scheduling philosophy change. Uh, everyone agreed to it. We made a commitment to uh, make sure in recruiting that we were, um, you know, no one was bad mouthing. We were building each other up. Uh, we were looking for opportunities to brand our conference together. Uh, we were going to really work to keep recruits home. And if, and if it meant, you know, uh, we want to just keep lose, not, we just didn't want to lose them to the East coast anymore. So it was a credit to our conference that we have like this year, we have 111 live women's basketball games on linear television, which is the most of any conference in the country. So it was a commitment by all fronts, the conference, the coaches, uh, to be people of integrity, to get people to stay, our recruits to stay home, to schedule a certain way with a very scientifically proven philosophy and to stick to it. And, you know, we've now been the number one RPI conference two years in a row, and I expect us to be even better this year. Um, And it's really been an amazing process. It's taught me a lot. You know, it's it's given me even deeper respect for my colleagues. I mean, we'll want to rip each other's head off in the game. But (laughs) afterwards, there really is a mutual respect. I had someone tell me at media day, um, you know, it's like night and day. You guys really enjoy each other. You respect each other. You're really different. Um, But it's a a sort of a it's just a very much a respectful conference that knows that we need each other in order to stay at the very top we need each other and so it's been a, a real joy to be a part of that process you had a real grown-up conversation five years ago when you won we did to, yeah i mean i mean and, and mm-hmm. i just i smile because i'm just thinking of the men coaches in the sec having that conversation i just don't <laughs> i mean honestly I, uh, we're sitting out by the pool at this uh, in, in arizona and the night before we all came in early and to get it done. And I, I, when I think back and think what everyone had to sacrifice and commit to to make that happen, yeah, I, I'm like almost amazed myself that we did it. Um, and so, but it's really been a great teacher and, and I'm really excited to the example that hopefully we can set. And I really think our women's game needs to have more of that because um, we need to work with each other. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, we're not, we're not gaining, we're losing ground to volleyball, soccer in terms of the women's side and, and youth sports. And we're going to lose that space if we don't do a great job of promoting our game together. You know, uh, 
you know, women's basketball, I think, is uh, both in the WNBA and in uh, in the college game. Uh, you have a, a unique thing that we don't have really too much in the other sports, major sports, I should say. We have it in volleyball, swimming, track and field. But, you know, we have uh, some of the best coaches in the country are men. And mm-hmm. then we have some phenomenal women coaches. You know, there's no, I mean, we don't have any women football coaches in college. Right. Of, I mean, in, as head coaches. Uh, how, and, and, and Gino, uh, you know, is a coaching you faculty member, Oriam, and, and a dear friend. And, and he is very, very supportive. <laughs> I know you've played him uh, of the mm-hmm. women coaches because he just wants the game to grow. And, you know, right. and, and he wants uh, the schools to invest in their programs and stuff like that. What do you, and now you have some very, very good uh, male coaches in your league. And of course, we have mm-hmm. Vic Schaefer and, you know, Gary Blair and different guys around the country and stuff uh, besides Gino. But what your feelings of uh, the impact of, you know, good coaches, men, male coaches uh, in the women's game? Well, I, on, if I, I really like our men's, our, the men coaches in our conference and, you know, obviously Kelly Graves done a great job at Oregon mm-hmm. and Scott, Scott Ruick and, you know, last year, uh, Mike neighbors, um, at Washington. I mean, Love the list it. goes on and on, yeah. but, um, you know, I also really want to continue to, um, I really want women to passionately pursue coaching mm-hmm. and, and I, it's a really hard balance. I, I really don't care if you're a guy or a gal coaching. Um, but I, we are losing a lot of women. It, the percentages are actually going down in our game. And so that does concern me. Yeah. Um, it's not that the men, that there's more men. Cause I want our, want our women to just have a good experience. I want them to be coached well, and I want them to get coached up, but I don't want women to um, feel like they can't do it all. And I think a lot of women are struggling with the work-life balance and trying to, you know, wanting to be a really good mom and then also really wanting to be a good career person and how that all balances out. And, um, it's it's just, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic because I don't think it's an either or it's, I think a both. And I think we need to continue to have a profession that, um, not, I think you need, I, I will always have a guy on my staff because, I want our women to have really great relationships with men in their lives to treat them well and to mm-hmm. see Tony Noonan on my staff is so great, um, you know, with the women in our program and he's a great teacher. And, you know, we had a team building session last weekend and one of our players is like, you know, coach Tony, you've just been so influential in my life. I've not had a positive male in my life and I, you know, I, I've needed you and I'm like, I, you know, I'm just blown away. Yeah. And so I think there's just really great power in that and at the same time i really hate to hear stories of like i just couldn't be in the game anymore i just do it's just i couldn't be a good mom and you know a good uh basketball coach and and that breaks my heart because i don't I, i don't think women should have to choose and men don't have to choose and you know i think that that's something that we need to continue to address and work towards but um you know i i i overall i really want i want women to have a great experience i want women to be able to grow in their game so that overrides um um, whether you're a male or a female coaching them. But I'm very thankful to people like Gino, um, who's had our entire staff. I've been to his practices on 
three different occasions and he's welcomed us and he's treated us really, really well. I've, I've visited Muffet McGraw and she's the, you know, she's obviously a female who um, has an incredible supportive husband and Matt, who's been phenomenal and has had elite success over an extended period of time. I mean, we need elite coaches in our game that, um, that really continue to mold and mentor, um, you know, future coaches, um, but also set us a, set a great example from lots of different perspectives. Girl, you are good. You are good. No, I <laughs> mean, that, that, no, I, I love that. I love that. And it's, it's great perspective. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I it's so, so appreciated by me because I, I love this game and I love so many of the coaches, male and female in it, because, uh, I just want people that are going to love the kids, serve yeah. them and care for them, you know, same as you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, you know, I, they just, one of our, um, our, director of mental training took our team out onto the court and said, you know, what's the thing that's going to last from this experience for the rest of your life? And someone like a ring. And he goes, no, those are going to collect dust. And he goes, well, what about the banner? Oh, they're going to hang in a gym. And they were like sort of stumped. And he says, the only two things that are going to stick with you for the rest of your life from this experience is who you become and who you impact. That's it. Those other things are going to collect dust and they're going to live in some building somewhere that may or may not be seen. But who you become and who you impact will be felt and impactful for many different people for the whole rest of your life. And I think coaching is such an incredible opportunity like nothing else. I mean, you know, people say all the time, if you want to influence a culture, influence coaches. I mean, I will, the average division one basketball player will spend over 3,500 hours in their sport over five, four years. And only 4% of those hours are in games. 4%. Hmm. But what do we recruit to? The 4% instead of the 96%. And I just want to tell parents and coaches and influencers in these kids' lives, examine the 96%. That's really going to make the difference in their experience and in their life, not the 4%. That's just what you see on TV. That's nothing. And, you know, unfortunately, it's we buy with our eyes and we buy with the thing that's easiest. And that's just the wins and losses in games. Sounds like something Joshua Metcalf would say. Ah, you are absolutely correct. <laughs> he's <so>. spectacular. <laughs> Love him. Love him. He's—he he's, was the one who said it. So yeah, he, he did a great. He does a great incredible. job with us. In fact, I showed a clip to the team today um, from the Iowa State football team, um, where he mm. was addressing uh, the team afterwards, and they beat those top five opponents this last month. And yeah. uh, their theme book all summer long was "Chop Wood, Carry Water" by. Uh, Joshua Metcalf and he was pretty much quoting the book in his speech and I I shared it with the team today because I was like you know that's what we have to stay committed to and you don't know you have to stay fall in love with the process of becoming great and you don't know when that process is going to love you back you got to just be committed to that and I thought he did a great job of sharing that with his team after the game and and that's Joshua Metcalf's influence so I give him a lot of credit no he's a star he's you know John introduced me to him he's he's We've done two or three podcasts. We love Joshua. Uh, last thing I want to talk to you about is my dear friend, uh, miss him terribly. Is uh, and I just talked to Dale Brown earlier mm. today, his eighty-second birthday, and you know he loved John Wooden so yeah. much, and uh, Don Yeager loves mm-hmm. him, and, you know, and John Maxwell loves him. I mean, it's all these guys, and I said, yeah, everybody loves him. But <laughs> when I was a young college coach, oh, God. I'm not, I'm scared to tell you, but I want to, I want to tell you, I was 22, 23 and I'm at, uh, up in Boston at, back then we had these clinics called medalist clinics. They made uh-huh. uniforms and we're at the Marriott, 
uh, hotel in the outskirts of Boston, and Coach Wooden is giving a clinic. Uh, he's one of the speakers on Friday night. It's now Saturday morning, and it's like 7 a.m. The clinic starts at 9. I'm, think about this nowadays. He is sitting in the lobby on a couch by himself. Mm. By himself. Not mm. one person there's 780 coaches, not like today's clinics. 780 coaches are at a clinic. Mm-hmm. And no one talks to him. I walk by him, and, you know, I, I walk up and I shook his hand. And and he says, son, what's your name? And I said, Brendan, sir. And he says, I love that name. I love oh. that name. Sit, <laughs> sit down and talk to me. Mm. I, I mean, that that's all I got to tell you about Coach Wooden, right? He's he was so caring. So I mean, mm-hmm. you know, nowadays if you tried to talk to someone, you know, they would first of all you couldn't get near him, and secondly they wouldn't give you the time of day. Unfortunately, right. a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I it, you know, hey, we're talking a lot of years later. It's still like it was yesterday. Tell right. me, tell me about your 15 years with Coach, and, oh. and the influence and. And how kind and generous he is with his thoughts, his ideas, his time, yeah. you know, and what an influence. Yeah, well, you don't have enough time in your podcast for me to go on. And Girl, on I own to... it. I own it. So <laughs> I, I own it. So we got all year. Uh, this might be the longest podcast in history, you know. So well, I'll try not to go on too don't long. Don't worry about tell it. You this. The funniest thing about it is that you have a your name is what got you in with him. Well, my name is what got me in with him. Mm. I remember I was also 22 years old, <laughs> and I was going there. It was 1993, and Steve Lavin uh, mm. said he we were both restricted earnings coach here coaches here at UCLA, and he said we're going tonight. It was a Tuesday night, and I was like, oh, I'm not dressed. I'm in sweats, you know. And he's like, I don't care. You're coming. So. I went with him and a couple of other high school coaches and we went up to his little apartment and mm-hmm. I was sweating profusely. I was shaking and he, I, he, I get out of the elevator and he meets us in the hallway and he says, who are you? And I was like shaking and Corey became like 10 syllables. I was like, Corey. And he goes, he goes, how do you spell that? And I said, C O R I. And he goes, oh, come right in. I want to show you something. And he comes around the corner and he shows me this little stool and it said C O R I. And he goes, you're the first person I've ever met that spells it like my great granddaughter, Corey. Wow. And the, sort of the rest is history. He said, come right in. I mean, my parents had said C O R E Y would have been like screwed, you know, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, from that time on, uh, we, I just kept going back every other Tuesday when I was here as a restricted earnings and then about once a month uh, when I was at UC Santa Barbara and um, continued even when I was at Florida State I remember I brought out uh, Lance White who was an assistant coach with me um, and John Lilly who was the recruiting coordinator at the time for football Mm. and wide receivers coach and we had a great relationship with the football staff and they go could you is there any way you could uh, you know go out there and help us meet coach Wooden I said okay I will but you guys need to write down questions you know and Lance I mean, great talker, great recruiter, great teacher of the game. And then, you know, John Lilly, I mean, he's a recruiter for the top one, you know, top five football programs in the country. And, and they're like, Oh, Corey, we'll be fine. We'll be. I'm like, guys, I've taken a lot of people there and they freeze when they get in there and they like thought I'm crazy. And so sure enough, we get out there and in the morning, I must have carried a conversation for four hours because those guys were tongue tied. 
I mean, because Coach Wooden would pull out one of his poems and he'd read from it. And it was just astounding. And so you were just dumbfounded. So you couldn't think about it, a question. And then, you know, I would say, well, tell him about this story and, you know, tell him about that interaction with, you know, you know, Bibby or, you know, Mike Warren or, you know, Bill Walton or, you know, the storytelling that he has. And those guys did not say a word till lunch. And finally, we, we took him out to lunch. He let us take him out to lunch. And finally, they loosened up. But I was like, you know, he just was awe-inspiring and his wisdom was so profound and I think so much in life we make more complicated than it needed to be and he had a way of making complicated things really simple and principled centered and he just influenced me over and over again Uh, last week at our um our our practice facility grand opening, I I had a chance to speak um, about his influence on my life, but also on Annie Myers, who also called him Papa. And, and Nan Wooden, his daughter was there. And, you know, I, I I asked him, you know, coach, when I first got here, I said, coach, or not right before I got here, I was at Florida State at the time. And he passed, unfortunately, one year before I got this job. But he, um, I asked him when I was at Florida State, coach, if I'm thinking about building a program, I mean, tell me about some of the things that you talked about. And it's interesting. I still remember I'd written it down in my journal and I just brought it out last week when he talked about it needs to be good for the past in how it connects to your alumni and how it connects people back to the experience. It has to be good for the present and that you are investing in pouring into the young women under your supervision so that it pays off long after they leave your program and long after their jump shot goes flat. And then it needs to be for the future and recruiting needs to be built in such a way that recruits look at your program and say, I don't want to miss out on that. And it was sort of all encompassing. And I talked about how our new practice facility is, I use that and I, I was, it's how we want to connect alumni to the experience. We want to pour in sincerely um, to, from the inside out. We have a saying at UCLA, a champions are made here because we have the most national championships. But we say in our program, champions are made here from the inside out with our character growth and with pouring into people. And, you know, and then lastly, we want to have an experience, um, a, trans, a transformational, an uncommon transformational experience that recruits and their parents say, ah, I don't want my daughter to miss out on that. And it all comes from Coach wouldn't. It all comes from me having lunch with Keith Erickson and still having him talk about the man he is because of Coach Wooden's influence. It, it's, you know, hearing Earl Watson talk to our team last week about even when he was a player here and how Coach Wooden influenced the kind of person he became, the kind of player he became, the kind of coach he became, the kind of dad he is. I mean, it's just the, it just goes on and on and on. And so I think that it's just this great reminder that, you know, Coach Wooden really didn't value his championships. They, he really did see them as a byproduct of building character in young men. And, you know, and having an influence on his – he just thought basketball was the way in which he was called to teach about excellence. And he was called to love people that were different than him. And I'll never forget, um, we, we tried to – you know, and I've heard this story a million times about how he started every season teaching his um, men how to put their shoes and socks on a particular way. And, you know, I sort of thought it was a cute story. And, you know, I, I didn't really understand the depth other than, well, they had Converse's and, you know, Chuck Taylor's and, you know, bad socks. And so no wonder they needed to do that. Right. But, um, you know, my second year here, Rayford Johnson, mm. um, came in and he t- started our season on October one or whenever it was that year that, um, how to teach their, put their shoes and socks on just like coach Wooden taught him. And I mean, this guy, you know, Rayford Johnson is a world record holder, lit the torch in the 84 Olympics, but he also won national championship playing basketball with coach Wooden. Too. I didn't know that. 
Wow. It's it's pretty amazing. Well, he comes in and he does this, and I'm thinking, oh, good, I'm keeping Coach Wooden's legacy alive, and I'm patting myself on the back, really. And but I really don't understand the depth of the story. And he starts in his in a meticulously soft spoken, gentle way that just like Coach Wooden taught him, he talks about how you have to have firm laces, and everyone's got to put their socks on this way, and everyone's got to tie their shoes this way, and it has to be done and started the same direction and ending the same direction every day at the same exact exact detail that you did the day before. And then he, at the end, he looked up and he looked at the eyes of all of our players and he said something that really hit me. And I'm like, Oh, like anything else, everyone thinks it's about one thing, but it's really about something else. He says, you know, I was a world track, a world renowned track athlete, but I was a very insecure basketball player. And I'm in here with all these great recruits. And I was like, what, how am I going to fit in here? And then I'm thinking, man, this guy's, um, you know, Jewish and this guy's black and this guy's white and this guy's from Philadelphia and this guy's from New York and we're so different. He goes, but it didn't matter if I was a track athlete playing basketball. It didn't matter if I was um, from the outskirts of Fresno and someone else was an All-American from New York. We actually were ready to become a team when we learned how to put our shoes and socks on the exact same way. And I was like, wow, oh, (laughs) it wasn't just about avoiding blisters. It was about, you know what? It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter about your socioeconomics. It doesn't matter about if you feel insecure, if you're the engine of the team or you're a role player on the team. We're all a part of the team and we all start by putting our shoes and socks on the same way. And, you know, it's just, you know, we get at UCLA, we get to hear these stories and be influenced by these people over and over again. And uh, so I'm reminded not only by my own mentorship of of Coach Wooden here at UCLA, but I'm also reminded because I get to be around those alumni constantly that remind me uh, that the influence is about their hearts. It's about their lives. It's about making, loving them unconditionally, valuing diversity, uh, including people and building bridges with people that see the life, see the lens of life differently. And, and I just thought coach Wooden was the ultimate example of that. And, and I'm so grateful to continually be influenced by him every day. That is phenomenal because that he's one of my favorites and mm-hmm. I've never heard stuff put that way. And Corey, you've been unbelievable. I, I really appreciate the time. You have helped so many women coaches, but more importantly, you've helped a lot of men coaches today because yeah. the things you talk about in coaching are what coaching is all about. And and I thank you for that. And I think yeah. that we, we all need to be reminded of that, and that's why you're very, very special. And yeah. I can't wait to come to Los Angeles this year. When I do, I'm going to make sure I come to practice. And Please do. Uh, oh, I, I, I can't wait. I want to see that fabulous new practice facility mm-hmm. I, i've always loved to go to poly pavilion and uh and I, I hope i do it when you guys are playing and stuff but i i, I appreciate it i can't wait to tell john gordon he'll be so mm. jealous that i <laughs> talked to you today and uh, you're special i hope you have a great season and if we can do, ever do anything for you coaching you please Corey, please call upon us well, thank you. And, you know, the other thing that Coach Wooden taught me is that always remember that we're all doing the same thing, whether you're a junior high coach, whether you're, um, you know, whether you're a college basketball coach, an MBA, whether you're doing a podcast, whether you're writing a book. I mean, Don Yeager used to talk to me about this as well. We're all doing the exact same thing. So thank you for what you're doing. We're all pouring into people. We're all trying to impact people through this great game. And I consider it a complete honor to have been a part of it today. So thank you for including me. Corey, have a great season, okay? Oh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks right. so much. Have a good one. I promised you that Corey was going to be fabulous. Uh, I'm so excited. 
that we were able to get her, you know, just before as she's starting her season. And uh, a terrific coach, great wisdom. I learned a bunch, and that's, you know, one of the things that I love when in doing these selfishly. I'd love to learn. And when you get around people like Corey Close, you know, I don't care. She is a star, an absolute star. Uh, appreciate again our great sponsors at Fast Model and at Dr. Dish, who love the game and are helping grow this game so much. Until next time, this is the coach, Brendan Sir.